Jonathan. Hi, Heaven. It's time for another Op- A Ghost Mini Book Club episode. It is indeed. <laughs> Today's book is After by Dr. Bruce Grayson. So After is about 45 years of research that Dr. Grayson has done into near-death experiences. Correct. It started with a really cool experience that kind of hooked me right in. In the very first couple pages, he describes a case from when he was a few months out of medical school. What did we decide he was doing? Psyche valves on people who had attempted suicide. You know, if you do that, you go to the hospital, they give you the psych valve, determine what to do with you. You know, did you really mean it? That kind of thing. The patient that he tells us about had had some sort of overdose. She was stable, but not yet awake. And he went in and checked on her and then went to visit with her friend in the family waiting rooms. And the next day when she woke up, she said, yeah, I know you. I remember you from last night. And he was like, what? We didn't talk. You were out. Yeah. You know, you weren't awake. He said, you didn't seem like you were awake last night. And she said, no, from when you talked with Susan sitting on the couch in the waiting room, I saw you. And then she went on to validate it by saying that I saw you with your stupid spaghetti stain on your tie. And he was like, how the heck would she have known I had a spaghetti stain on my tie? Blew my mind. Come to find out, she had apparently died overnight. And been revived, and while she was dead is when she saw him and Susan talking. I mean, she wasn't awake. There's no explanation. Yeah, there's no way she could have known. She was out in a bed. He was talking with Susan by himself. And a couple rooms away. That was wild. Yeah, that was just the start of it. He talks about how over the decades he's assembled I think he said more than a thousand experiences, either because, you know, he would ask people in these situations because that's what he started out doing. Mm-hmm. I think it says somewhere in the book that something like 10% of people have a near death experience. The ones that come back have this experience and it got him interested and he started compiling stories and over the years and here he is now writing this book. Yeah, 45 years later. What did you think of the book, by the way? I really liked it. The last time I suggested a book, because simply because we had it, you weren't a big fan. <laughs> well, that book was the most boring thing I've ever read. This book was interesting. It's stuff that is shocking and, you know, it's hard to believe some of the stories. But, I mean, I believe everything he says. He's doing actual research to try and prove it. But that last book... It just dragged on and on and on. This one is, there's a lot of stories, story after story after story of everybody having this very similar experience. And and it's without oversimplifying it, you know, it's like you go and you, when you die, you, you fly through space. It's not really space, but we'll call it a space. <laughs> you end up at this place and it's almost like the, like a waiting room and you run into people that have went before, you know, it's a lot of them are like, yeah, this place is great, but it's not your time, buddy. You got to yeah. have to go back, you know. And My favorite stories were the ones that were kind of impossible to have been made up. Like the one with Al who had heart surgery. He was under anesthesia with his eyes taped shut. So there's no way he was 
you know, just not fully out and maybe saw some stuff. Right. He wasn't looking around with his eyes taped shut. Yeah. But he saw his surgeon doing strange things he couldn't understand. And then Dr. Grayson spoke to the surgeon and verified, yes, those weird things he saw were his own ritual ways of not contaminating things. He kept his hands away from everything doing surgery, and if he needed his staff to get something, he pointed with his elbows. And Al saw him doing that and thought he was just flapping his arms around like a bird. And he probably was, I mean, because he's pointing with his elbows. Yeah, so, you know, and so. he was like, what is this weirdo doing to me who's operating on me? Clearly, he saw that. Yeah, my God, my surgeon thinks he's a chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's not something you're just going to like make up. That's kind of off the wall, out of the blue kind of a thing that you say that. It turns out that someone's able to corroborate what you had said and say, oh, look, you're right. He did do that. Yeah. I thought it was weird that they started putting things like in the ceiling because people would float up. Yes. You know, they would all describe this feeling of floating above the room and they would be able to describe what was going on in the room and who was there and how many people and what their body looked like and all this sort of thing. They're like, okay, well, if everybody's doing this, let's put stuff in the ceiling and see if anybody recalls it. I put a uh, post up on Reddit in one of the paranormal groups that I'm in asking Uh for um, anybody who has any NDE experiences. And a girl on there said the hospital she works in has signs all around the operating rooms for NDE research. Really? Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. He says in the book, when he started doing this, people thought, well, you're just going to lose your any credibility and anything you have because it's just a brain thing that your brain does when you're dying, lack of oxygen, that sort of right. thing. And you're taking it way too seriously. And there's like, okay, well, how can it be this brain thing caused by lack of oxygen if I'm four rooms down the hallway and they can tell me what tie I'm wearing? Yeah. And my doctor's flapping his arms like a bird. Right. Apparently, I wrote notes about that fact you had said. It was uh, 20% of people who have come close to death report having a near-death experience. Uh, And that if you're looking at people who came close to death, out of those people, the ones who experienced NDEs had less psychological distress than the ones who didn't experience an NDE. After the fact. Yeah, after the fact. The NDE was a calming and reassuring experience. That was another thing that was kind of interesting about the book was what happens to people after the fact and the fact that they become more spiritual. They don't become more religious. They become more spiritual, more at peace with life and death. Yeah. And then there's that group of people. And then there's some of them that get obsessed with it because it was such a warm, loving, joyful thing when they were there that when they come back, they're like, Nothing is like that. And I imagine if you are kind of a depressed, lonely person, and then you have this moment of complete bliss, it would be really hard to not want to go back to that. Yeah. But it's also comforting to a lot of people because they know that's what they have coming. So, I mean, I think the majority of people said that they were no longer fearing death afterwards. Oh, yeah. Few people have said things like, you know, it's not God like you are used to reading in the Bible and at church. It is, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's more than that, you know, and it it's impossible to tell you in a way that would make you understand without experiencing it. And so we're going to use the word God because that's the only word we have. Right. Most of them said things like, 
I can't even describe the feelings that it gave. Yeah. There aren't words in the English language that I can tell you to explain how I felt. Right. It's a neat book. It's neat to see how people had these experiences and how they changed after the fact mm -hmm. and how they became like, you know, it's not about having, you know, the nicest, oh, biggest yeah. house. It's not about having the nicest car. It's not about, it's about loving people and sharing knowledge and returning love. That's, I think is what one, somebody said in the thing, sharing knowledge and returning love. That's what it's yeah. all about. That's the meaning of life, according to them. Which makes sense. Some of them are like, you know, affluent people that, you know, they start giving their money away. Yeah. They don't need it. They start charities and just start devoting all their time to helping people. Just to helping people. Yeah. There was another part in chapter nine, the biology of dying, that says sometimes people who have seizures experience out-of-body experiences. And I thought that was really interesting in middle school, one of my best friends had a seizure during our lunch period, and it was one of the scariest things I ever experienced. I sent her a message and I asked her if anything weird has ever happened during her seizures, but she said, no, nothing cool at all ever happens to me. <laughs> Not cool enough to have out-of-body experiences. Yeah. Out-of-body experiences is another thing associated with this, sure, but there's people that have them not associated with death experiences. And I guess that's what he's getting at with the seizure people. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, there was uh, Shirley MacLaine was an actor and she became uh, kind of really big into the whole new age thing. And there was a television series with her on it. Part of what was going on in there was she was trying to train herself to have an out-of-body experience. Oh, wow. That whole out-of-body experience thing, that would be, that would be weird. Be wild. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's kind of a float up above everything and, oh, look, there I am having a seizure. Look at my best friend over there freaking out. <laughs> and you're sucked back in, you know. There's another story of a patient who was a neurosurgeon and he'd awoken one day with intense back pain and headaches. And by a few hours later, he was in a coma with severe damage to his brain. And when he came out of the coma, he didn't remember anything about his life before the coma. Then as he slowly gained his memories, he told them about everyone that he saw around him while he was in his coma. And there was one person he couldn't figure out who it was. And he mentioned that he'd been adopted as a child and met his birth family during this time. And they showed him a picture of his birth sister who had died a few years prior. And he was like, oh, that's that's the girl who visited me. Mm-hmm. Another thing you can't explain. He's never met this person. He didn't know what she looked like. Was it this book that has, because I've read a few different ones, and so I might be confused, but is this the book where the guy meets the nurse? Yes, 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 yes. That's this book. Something about a red car? Listen. You got it? It's literally my next notes. Oh, you're kidding me. No. A lot of people who have near-death experiences report seeing loved ones that have previously passed. Correct. And that makes a lot of sense of, you know, your brain makes these things happen and chemicals when you're dying. Right. You know, you know these faces. And they tell you things like, you know, there's more for you to do in life, like you said earlier. And while I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, that could easily not be real. It could just be a figment of your imagination. Right. And it's like the book was reading my mind because at that moment, it told a story of a man who had an NDE 
and the person he saw was his nurse who had taken the weekend off to spend time with her family. Her parents had bought her a new car, and she had sped off in it and hit a pole and died. He had zero knowledge that she had died while he was also dying. She had told him, tell my parents I'm sorry I wrecked the red car. When he came out, he told people this, and they were like, yeah, she died. That's the thing about some of this stuff. You could sit there and be skeptical about this stuff. And I appreciate that. I understand people coming at with a bit of skepticism. But how do you explain that? Yeah, you can't. It doesn't make any sense. That solidified it for me. This guy says that there are two immediate effects of his experience. The first was he understood why he was still alive. And the second one was that he was no longer feared dying. I was not distressed as other members of my family when my grandfather died recently. And I think my consciousness will persist after death. I'm not worried about it because, it's, you know, he just he's on a trip that I'll eventually make and I'll see him again. It might be 40 years, but it's a pretty short amount of time. My question is, I wonder how this plane that they're in and experiencing relates to ghosts. Do these people who are in this plane have the ability to come back and visit or are they two completely separate worlds? You know, that's a good question. If you start looking at some of these near-death things and some of these books about it where people are have given their theories based on what other people who have experienced it say, and then you start looking at some of these past live people, there was this kid that had a vivid memory of being a World War II pilot or something. Yeah, a fighter pilot. Yeah. I mean, you have this vivid, vivid, vivid memory. and and I mean, they corroborated like his people that he was in the service with like the names the kid knew all the names of the people he died with he knew the guy's sister when he saw her before she had even you know before she had even introduced herself and said what her name was he knew who she was how can you explain that away he was like four yeah so you take those two things and you stick them together and you figure out what's in the middle and that's that's ghosts i don't know the way it sounds on here Based on some of the things he said, when you die, you go to this place and some people fight it because they're not sure, they're not ready, they're something. Right. If you fight it, I think those are what you might end up with as ghosts. Maybe they're not ready. They need something, you know, just like in in ghosts, you know, they don't get sucked off. They're not ready to be sucked off yet. There's something that has to be done. Unfinished business. That implies they have something they need to say or something. And sometimes well, I don't they even could know just if it's feel just like it's an unfinished business. Like yeah. they feel un- incomplete somewhere in their life or just not ready. Yeah. There's something I need to learn. And maybe I haven't learned that yet. And I think that's what this is. I think that's my philosophy is this is this is round whatever of ha- however many. There were people who said that they had been told. You know, you still have lessons left to learn in this life. But if you come back and you do it again because you didn't learn the lessons, the problem with that is when you get here, you don't remember what lessons you learned the first time. (laughs) No, but you got to figure it out. That makes it too easy. Life's a game. You write a paper and you make mistakes. So you go back and you rewrite the paper and you fix those mistakes and you make that paper your next version of that thing. You know what mistakes you made in the first one and you can learn from those mistakes. But if you don't know what mistakes you made. Maybe you do know. It's just not something you can like access. You know what I mean? Subconsciously, it's there somewhere. Right. So anyway, 
at least my thought is you're a ghost because you're between places and you're not sure you're in limbo see that's the thing i don't know that you can just say oh well it's just this thing where someone's in limbo i I think that could be some of it i think there's others that are i mean you get so far into it and it's like i mean there's different kinds of hauntings there's residuals and yeah you know what how do you explain that based on well because some people say residuals are just energy that's left behind that's repeating itself Yeah, and I get that, but I understand all the philosophies and all the things, you know, from a perspective of someone who's thinking about this in, I guess, a pseudo-scientific way, because I'm no scientist, but I like to think I approach it at least with a scientific mind, even if it's not a scientist's mind. An academic mind. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. We cling to this thing that energy is neither created nor destroyed. If energy is there... How come I can pick you up as a ghost with a K2, but I can walk right up to you and touch you with the K2 and it won't even blink? Me? Yeah. I can walk up to you right now and stick a K2 to your forehead or wherever and it won't register anything. Well, I don't know. I'm not an energy scientist, but maybe it has something to do with ghosts. So we are not pulling on like energy around us to be here. I have never believed that K2s... You don't believe K2's work? I don't believe K2's work to find ghosts. No. <gasps> you what I do believe. I've just. Sh- no, stop talking. <laughs> oh, what? Okay. W- let me let me back up a little bit. Okay, but we use them when we are ghost hunting. How can you not believe in them? I think there is floating energy, you know, whether it's from RF radiation or things like that, and the K2 will pick it up if it's strong enough. So you're talking about walking around with a K2 and getting like hot spots and what, but what about when you use them to ask questions and they will be sitting in a spot and then light up and go away in response to your questions? If you can do it in response to your questions and something's going on, but I don't think that generally speaking that a K2 works to find ghosts. I'm never ghost hunting with you again. (laughs) Speaking of your opinions on ghost hunting and my opinions on ghost hunting, the next book that we're doing is called The Carol Haunt by Darcy Coates. And spoiler alert, not really spoiler alert, but I am like 50% through this book already. I was going to say, you've probably already started this, haven't you? I absolutely love it. And the inner ghost hunter in you, I think, is going to hate some of this. Why? It's just... I know it's a work of fiction. You can't give away too much because I haven't read it. No, but it's about a group of people investigating a a very haunted place. Uh They talk about some things that they seem to think are facts that I know are going to irritate you about ghost hunts. Their definition of a poltergeist, hysterical. Okay. I haven't got there yet, but I think there's going to be some spicy material, and I know you're not a romance reader, so I don't know how you're going to like this book. I mean, it's not like I've never read, what'd you call it? Spicy material. That's what they call romance books now, spice. My only problem is I don't mind if there's a little dash of spice in there, as long as it doesn't take over the story. You know what I mean? No, and I haven't got to that where it's taken over yet, but... How far in are you? About 50 pages? Percent. Oh, <laughs> you've got halfway through, and, the, and there's there hasn't been any spice yet. Well, it's it's very slow burn. Slow burn spice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited for it. It's a good book. It's um, I guess this author does a lot of paranormal fiction. 
So we'll probably read more of her books if you like it enough. If you had an NDE or you've got some crazy story you want to tell us, you can email us opeaghost at gmail.com. Visit us on Instagram at instagram.com slash opeaghost. Or you can find our Facebook group and come chat with us about the book. It's just Ope a Ghost. Thanks for listening. Toodles. <laughs>